everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I am joined by Helen Tupper. This is Helen's second time on the Power Hour. I always enjoy our conversations because I think we both have a shared passion for helping people to understand what's possible and to pursue their professional goals, whether that's as an entrepreneur or just navigating career change. And in this episode, we talk a lot about the importance of self-awareness in your career, the importance of radical feedback and radical honesty. We also talk about purpose and meaningful work and the tools and the frameworks that Helen shares in her new book, You Coach You, which is available for pre-order right now. So you might need a pen and paper for this episode. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Helen Tupper, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to speak to you again. Yes, so you were a guest on the last series, but you've done it again. Yourself and Sarah have written another brilliant career book. So how was that? Please tell me it's a little bit easier the second time around. Well, I don't know. Some bits were like we, I think we've got over the imposter syndrome of having never written a book before. And we're like, and we think we can do it because we've done one. But actually, we wrote a lot of it in lockdown, like between multiple lockdowns. So some of the ways that Sarah and I work together best, like when we bounce ideas off each other, when we're in a room with post-its, we just couldn't do that. Um, and so that, that did make it a bit harder, but for ways that we could have never, never anticipated, never predicted. Gosh, yeah, I can definitely relate to writing during the pandemic. But before we dive in and talk more about the book, just to give a little bit of context to the listeners, as well as writing books, you're also the co-founder of Amazing If and you host a career podcast as well. So, of course, when it comes to careers, there's so many different types now. You know, you can work full time, employed, you can be part time, full time, uh, start your own thing, work in a startup, freelance consulting. There's so many different kind of variables now. So who do you have in your mind when you're creating content around career advice? It's a, re- it's a really good question because our audience is so broad and diverse. But someone once, uh, recently said to me that research is me-search. And I sometimes think when we are researching things to do with career development, we are often, both Sarah and I, we're often thinking about ourselves and our own careers and our own challenges. Like, you know, how do we find work-life fit? How do we make sure we've got purposeful work? How do we work better together and solve friction that we might have between each other? And I think what we have found is that the questions that we have about us and our career and making sure that our time is well spent seem to be the same questions that everybody has. And whether they are just starting out in their career and they're thinking, oh, you know, how do I make sure that I'm having an impact in my job? Or even when someone's considering retirement and they're thinking, well, where do I go next? What are the possibilities that I can explore because I want to do more? Everyone seems to have a really similar set of questions and everybody is just looking for some practical sources of support. So I know that doesn't really answer the question, but yeah, I think we start with what are we dealing with right now and how can we turn that into something that can help other people who might be dealing with the same thing? 
Yeah, no, I think that's really, really useful when you think about, you know, things that are kind of globally shared or, or context that, as you said, if even if you just listen to conversations with even different people, different industries, different ages, there is often, yeah, a similar thing that comes up again and again. And I think for the last year, I've certainly seen that it was people kind of really struggling to have any kind of boundary around their work and their life and so with a lot of the the talks that I've been doing in the last year you know I deliver talks to the employees of, of organizations and they, the Q&A is always about that now because people are just like how can you either switch off mentally or actually physically detach when you know when people's expectation is to kind of send you emails in the evening send whatsapp send maybe slack messages there's so much communication that i think yeah whatever industry you're in whether you're senior whether you're a junior those kind of common things if you really listen to the questions that people are asking i think you're right there's there's a real there's often a common thing that everybody's experiencing at the same time And when we do our sessions, we often get people to vote on where they want us to focus. So we might talk about the five skills to succeed in a squiggly career and which one of these skills feels most relevant to you right now. And I've seen a real shift over the past 12 months about where people, like where they they place their bet, where they put their vote in, which of those skills. So I think earlier on in the pandemic, we used to see a lot of people saying, I want some support with confidence and self-belief. I think that the the pandemic really rocked people in terms of uh, them and their career and their self-confidence. And we saw a lot of people going, help, help me with that right now. And then I would say that over the last six months, we talk to people a lot about their career possibilities. And that is where people are gravitating to right now. In, in our sessions, at least, it's give me some support with exploring my career possibilities, help me understand what purpose looks like for me. And it's so it's just so interesting to see how the environment that we're in affects the support that we might be seeking with our career yeah for sure and I guess that's really interesting to see Mm. that shift from people saying okay yeah give me confidence and help me with that to understanding like you said the pandemic and I think maybe the uncertainty as well around empowerment and I think what you described with the the question now of people saying what are the possibilities what's what's possible for me I think people want to take a little bit of autonomy and kind of yeah feel empowered to say actually I want to have, I want to make decisions as opposed to just being at the mercy of the employer. Mm, I agree. So moving on from that, how do you think, you know, as we're talking about the pandemic, like post pandemic, we're moving into this, I guess, hybrid work life where some people are part remote, some people are in the office, some people are dialing in, it gets a real mixture. So how do you think people can navigate changing their career during this time because for example if back in the day maybe you would have just you know applied for the job gone for the interview maybe you would have gone into the the office met the team whereas now so many things are remote some people are working and starting in companies and it's six months remote before they even meet anyone face to face so do you think that if someone's trying to yeah start a new career um maybe with a small team or in a bigger organization how can they navigate that during this strange time well, the research around where our opportunities come from, so whether that is opportunities for new roles or opportunities for that might help us with our development and our learning, shows that most of that comes through people that we know. So it's not necessarily something that's advertised on an intranet. And what that means is that investing in your career community is really important for your career possibilities. Now, that might look and feel a bit harder for somebody who has maybe joined an organization remotely and so they don't know a lot of people in that business or uh, maybe they're an introvert and so they're working from home quite a lot and they just find it harder to maintain those relationships when they're not seeing people every day 
I think one of the most important things that people can do is think about, well, how can I build a network around me and my career but in a way that works for me? One of the things that we talk to people about is the importance of curiosity coffees. And uh, this mm. is basically just making time to to get curious with somebody about, you know, what's the job that you're doing or what are you working on right now or what are some of the problems that you're you're facing or, you know, what do your plans look like for 2022? Any of those curious questions are a good ones to start with. But if you're an introvert, you might do that on a one-to-one basis and maybe you do it with somebody else who's joined the company in the last six months or maybe you go and do it with someone who's been in the organisation for quite a long time so you get a different perspective. And if you're an extrovert, uh, which is more like me, then maybe you do it in more in a community environment. So are there any larger networks that you can join where you can have those curiosity conversations with multiple people at the same time but it it is really important that you take ownership for building those relationships it sometimes gets called like the difference between a strong and a weak tie and strong ties are like the people that you know really well you naturally spend time with them and they're great they can help you in lots of meaningful ways because they know lots about you but it's those weak tie relationships it's the people that you don't know very well yet that can often unlock doors and open opportunities that you might not be aware of and it's just about thinking about well how can I find some of those people yes I love that the loose ties thing I think because like you Helen I'm also an extrovert and I'm somebody who I have a lot of loose ties I feel like it's almost a bit of a joke my one of a lady that I work with she's like you're she said you're a connector she was like you know so many people she said I'm always like I can ask Adrienne do you know anyone who could blah 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 and I'm like yes I know three people I'll send them an email right now um but I'm glad that you touched on you know it's not just about extroverts because often people will say well you know it's easy for you you love talking to people you've got a big network and you know, I think it's really important that people know that you don't have to just be an extrovert to, yeah, kind of go to those, uh, those events and meet people and mingle and all of that. Like there's lots and lots of ways, I think, to strengthen those loose ties. And I think actually sometimes it's even more stands out, maybe even more when someone sends you a really thoughtful email or reaches out online who's, I don't know, listened to your podcast or, or maybe they've maybe they've just, you know, they know somebody who you know. And I think it actually stands out a little bit more when you find a different way to connect with people. Yeah, and my business partner is an introvert. So we're kind of an interesting duo because we're different in so many ways. And so she is much more likely to do one-to-one. I'm, you know, I'm more like you. I'm like one-to-one to as many people as I can. And um, what she tends to do is we both have this definition of networking as people helping people. So I thought your thoughtful word was a really good word. Sarah thoughtfully connects with people. She thinks, how can I help that one person? What is something I know that could help that one person to grow? Whereas I'll be thinking, oh, how can I help lots of people learn? And neither of those approaches are, are, are better. It just works for where you, know, you get your energy from and how you prefer to build relationships with people. Sure. And and let's talk about the new book. So yourself and Sarah, you've written a new book, You Coach You. So I'll be really honest with you, before I read the book, I, I probably looked at, you know, probably saw the, the, the first the first headline and, and maybe a few lines about it. And I was super interested to see how you were going to approach this. Because on the one hand, I was thinking, you know, I'm a big advocate for, you know, getting advice from uh, experts, from the huge upside that, you know, seeking objective feedback, like learning lessons that other people who've already been there and already done that, and really kind of not thinking that you know it all and being, I guess, humble enough to say, 
who knows more than me about X, Y, and Z and just be a sponge and just learn, learn, learn. But then on the other hand, on the flip side, I'm thinking, yes, people really need to understand how to create their own processes, how to make considered decisions, how to trust themselves that actually ultimately they know what's best for them. So yeah, really interested to know how did you land on this idea of you coach you? I think one of the things that Sarah and I are really driven by in our work is what we kind of term as like democratizing development. So making sure that everybody, wherever they work, whatever stage they are, that they have a way to support themselves and can access support with their career development. And so we, in our work, try and put out as many tools as we can to help people to do that. But a big part of democratizing development is giving people the skills to help themselves so yes we want to provide them with tools and techniques but what we want them to do is to help themselves to get unstuck to help themselves uncover new insights and coaching is a skill but part of the problem sometimes with coaching is it gets limited by like the ladder and the level so Hmm. in organizations you know coaching is a brilliant resource but it is an expensive resource you know Hmm. coaches I'm a qualified coach and coaching is expensive for people to invest in and not everybody has access to that but at its heart coaching is some really core skills it's about self-awareness it's about the ability to self-reflect and it's about the ability to unlock your thinking through questioning and self-awareness and listening and questioning are skills that we can all learn. And so we're not trying to replace a great career conversation with a manager or a mentor, or even if you're fortunate enough to have a coach, we're not trying to replace that. But what we are trying to do is to help yourself first so that you reflect and you use that time really valuably that you might get with other people. And if you don't get that time with other people, because maybe you're freelance, you don't have a manager, or maybe like the vast majority of people, you don't have access to a coach, you're not stuck in your squiggly career. You can you can find ways to help yourself through it. Great. And before we, because I really want to put a pin in the words self-awareness, but before we get back to that, could you just outline for us what is the difference between a coach and a mentor? Because for me, you know, I'm someone who I mentor young people. So it's, it's very different. It's through a charity and they're under 18. So it's very, very different. But recently it, I've had more people reaching out and saying, oh, Adrian, you know, would you mentor me? Or could we do, you know, like just even like a mentoring call? And I think coaching, as, as you said, is, is different to mentoring. So what is that difference? Yeah, so both are really valuable in, in, in career development. So a mentor is somebody who shares their work and their wisdom with you. Um, they've been somewhere that you might want to go or maybe you know they've done something you might want to do and they are generous enough to share that with you. Mentors are amazing. Go be a mentor to somebody else and share what you know to help other people mm-hmm. to grow. It's a, it's a brilliant thing to do. So mentors are fantastic. Coaches are slightly different. So where mentors are often in tell mode because they're, telling you what they have done or what they know and a coach is much more likely to be in ask mode their job is to unlock your thinking they're not trying to tell you what they've done or how they would do it they're helping you think that through for yourself so they are really good at asking you unlocking questions at creating pauses in your thinking so that your reflection can go a bit deeper and when when you do that when you think things through and you come up with your own ideas and your own solutions you're often much more committed to the outcomes because it's it's come from you it's come from somewhere slightly deeper and that's almost more ownable by you rather than me just telling you what to do so both of them are useful like if you're going to have what we sometimes call a, a you know your own personal board for you in your career 
definitely go get some mentors on there. Go get multiple mentors. But also, you know, if you haven't got access to a coach, go find someone who has a coaching approach. Maybe there's someone that you know that's brilliant at asking those difficult, unlocking questions. And don't forget that you can also coach yourself. You can coach you. You just might need the skills to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love the unlocking questions and putting it to to the person. I guess it's kind of, it's not the same, but what came to mind when you were talking was around therapy. And, you know, a therapist isn't there to give you answers, but they're there to you know encourage you to answer those questions for yourself however I do find in uh, in my experience and with with peers that have coaches or mentors that it's almost like they want that person to tell them what to do they want them to say these are the options these are the things on the table I've come up with all the pros and cons I don't know what to do and they want the coach to almost like make the decision for them but I'm sure (laughs) as you said Helen that's not that's not the job and actually you know you don't want to outsource the kind of responsibility of decision making to someone else. Yeah, and the best coaches would never give the answers. The best coaches would be like, well, what would you do? Uh, and what would you do if that situation wasn't possible? And how would you think through if this constraint happened? And they just, they almost ask you an irritating amount of questions. <laughs> but the point is that you come up with your own solutions and you're more attached to them when you do. Like a politician, they're good at dancing. You can dance the question, you can dodge the bullet. <laughs> Career politician. Yeah, so let's loop back to this self-awareness piece because what I love about your work and, and the book, and it's always super, super practical. So throughout the book, there are lots of questions and prompts and there's things you can you know fill out and it really encourages you to be self-reflective. And so one of those areas, self-awareness, which I'm just so hot on because I think that when when you can be self-aware and when you can get feedback from others and when you can kind of, I guess, zoom out from your own work or yourself and get people's input, it's so, so valuable, but also understanding your own strengths, your own weaknesses, what you like, what you don't like, how you interact with people and how they maybe perceive those interactions from you is just absolutely fundamental in my opinion, especially maybe now more than ever because of the digital world. So, so much of what we see is you know, it can be edited, it can be changed. And I don't mean images, I'm talking about, you know, text, speech, copy, even even podcasts to, to an extent, I suppose they could be edited. There's all these things. So then when you meet someone in the real life and there's no editing, there's no change, there's no autocorrect, there's nothing to help. I think it's really, really important that we really, yeah, become self-aware and become honest with ourselves about what self-awareness is. So why do you think it was so important to include this? And why do you think it's so important for people to become more self-aware? Yeah, really good. And I totally agree with you with the amount of editing that goes on in the world today. It sort of becomes more and more, authenticity becomes even more important, I think. And I think the reason that self-awareness is so important is so that you can take control of your career because if you don't really know who you are and what's important to you and what you're thinking in a squiggly career it's really easy to get swayed by other people so you know what other people think I should do or whether other people think I should go or you might maybe fall into comparison where you're thinking well they're doing that maybe that's what I should do and being truly self-aware which is you you know thinking about well how clearly do I see myself do I know what really makes me happy at work, which are my values? Do I know what I want to be known for, which is my strengths? And then thinking, what well, and how do other people see me? We, we sometimes describe it as like the difference between your intent and your impact. That That's self-awareness. Mm. Tasha Urich is our, what I call like a go-to guru. A go-to guru on um, self-awareness is, is Tasha Urich, who's a researcher who's done a lot of this. And, and she talks about self-awareness isn't just about knowing you uh, your strengths and your values it's also about knowing how other people see you and it's those two Mm. things together that really create 
rich and deep self-awareness. Yes. Oh my gosh, Helen, I'm nodding along. So did you say intent versus impact? Impact. Yeah. So your your intent is that's 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 the inner you. That's like your internal bit. That's the you know what matters most to me, and you know what do I want to be known for? Are two potential areas. They're not the only ones, but that's part of kind of your your kind of intent. And then your impact is how do people experience me? What do people you know feel like when I work with them? What do they think that? I'm good at what do they think that I'm known for and ideally you want those two things to be aligned that's when you know the you that you want to be you is what's showing up in the work that you do with the people that you work with and when there's misalignment there's you know there's a, there's a gap really there for you to be solved because you might want to show up in one way but other people might be experiencing you in another and that means you're you know inconsistent and you might be feeling inauthentic so and that's really normal. It's really normal for people have, to have a gap between their intent and their impact. But they've got to find ways to close the gap, you know, for example, by getting feedback from other people, by thinking about, well, how do I make my strengths stand out? Or how can I live my values more in the work that I do? Yes. And honestly, I really want to just kind of share this, I guess, anecdotally, because just because I talk about these things a lot and I you know, talk to wonderful people like yourself and I listen and I learn does not mean that I'm exempt. And like as human beings, we all have to, I guess, continually learn and continually do this kind of work. And so for me, I had this experience a couple of years ago where I was working with it's like a team thing. And I and I again, self-reflection, I'm always, you know, trying to. Yeah, I guess I, I, I think I can feel it, you know, when something's really working really well and I definitely think I can feel it when it's not you know we can all we all have that feeling of like oh this person doesn't really vibe with me maybe they don't like me maybe we just don't work well together and I was really trying to understand it and so I basically just asked for you know like radical candor radical feedback like truthful honest discussion about like why potentially we didn't work that well together and I was so blown away by the feedback because I always think that as someone who in a group setting you know I've got a smile on my face I say hi to everyone one I'm talking 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 if there's a question posed to the group and you know that kind of awkward moment where nobody wants to talk first like I'll kind of try and break the silence by being like oh I'll suggest an idea I'll go first I don't mind you know I don't I'm not I'm not afraid to get it get it wrong or ask questions or look silly like I'll just talk and talk so I thought that that's how it was being perceived but actually the feedback that I got from this person was actually you're incredibly intimidating in that setting And I was like, I never in a million years would have put the word intimidating next to my name because I was like, wait, hang on. There's those people that come in that are super serious and those people that come in that have got, I don't know, 20 years experience. I was like, I'm coming in literally, as I said, smile on my face. Hey, how are you doing? Chat, chat, chat. What's intimidating about that? But actually I had to take that on board because what they were saying is that you're very confident with your ideas. You're very confident to speak up. You're very confident to talk to everyone in the room, whether it's the CEO, whether it's the anyone. And so basically I had to take that feedback on board because if I just shoved it off and went, no, 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 they're wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm nice. I'm smiley. I'm happy. You, you know, they're wrong. Actually that person's giving you such a golden opportunity because they're telling you, this is how I perceive you. This is how I feel in that moment. This is how, like you said, it's different. My intent clearly didn't match the impact not for everybody in the room but for that person and I always think back to that because again I think when I give feedback to some people sometimes I try to do it in a you know in in a good way like try to deliver the feedback in a way that's helpful but some people just really don't like radical feedback or honesty and whatever feedback they get they'll spin it around and discard it and say oh no no no, that person's wrong they just don't want to hear truthful things that maybe aren't good about themselves 
I, I have a really similar situation. Like one of the things my intent is, you know, I come across as a positive person who makes things happen and obviously develops people um, through their work. And I um, had this team session and someone in our team sent us a, a message on our on our WhatsApp group and said, you know, basically they were having some challenges at home and I was trying to solve that problem really quickly. So I just gave really direct advice. I was like, okay, do X, Y, and Z. And I think I was in the middle of something else. So I just pressed send on the WhatsApp group. And my uh, business partner who is, um, <laughs> she's she's very good at direct feedback. She's one of my feedback friends. She gives very clear, very candid feedback. She was basically said to me, Helen, that you know, I, I know that you want to come across as a positive person, but the way that you delivered that message came across quite brutally for somebody who was in the midst of lots of stuff going on and it, and it lacked empathy. And the thing with can, candid feedback, it is amazing. We call it feedback friends in, in the book, like cultivate these people that can give you candid feedback because they are rare because people generally are not comfortable about it. But the best candid feedback, if you look at um, Kim Scott's work on radical candor, there are two dimensions to it. It is somebody who can challenge you directly. So they have the ability to give you those clear candid messages but they also care personally about you. So Sarah cares about me. She knows what I want my intent to be. She knows and cares about me being my best. And that's why she can deliver that feedback because the risk is if someone challenges you directly and I don't particularly care about you, it falls into what Kim Scott calls obnoxious aggression. I mean, that's not a good thing, but it's that caring personally bit that makes such a difference to that, that feedback landing um, with meaning for you and for you to be, be able to receive it and not get defensive about it. Yeah, exactly. It's that defensiveness, isn't it, of, of remembering, I think, the person getting the feedback, remembering, okay, this person cares personally, they care deeply, they're trying to help me, they're not out to, you know, just criticise for the sake of it or to try and humiliate me. And so, yeah, I think it's really helpful to people to understand that if you've asked someone for feedback, if you've asked someone to be candid or to be, you know, constructive, then please try to, yeah, remember that they're trying to help you and hear what they're saying. And even, even you know, the flip side of that, when someone does criticise you, who maybe just doesn't like you maybe there's you know there's always going to be those people in the world maybe they just don't like you and they kind of throw stones I sometimes think actually there's even the lesson in that because there's always a a slither of truth so for example if someone who just I don't know disliked me and said oh Adrian you talk too much I might go oh that person doesn't like me it's fine but maybe there's an element of truth in that actually and sometimes you need to talk less and listen more so I think as well just like trying to maybe that's the optimist in me as well Helen (laughs) <laughs> well, we, we kind of find feedback as information shared with the intent of helping you improve. So if someone's just saying, Helen, you talk too much, I think they kind of need to add something about on. And it would be even better if you slowed down and take more pauses because you would have a bigger impact. I would say that was high quality feedback, whereas I think, Helen, you talk too much is more likely to be criticism. And, you know, everyone gives feedback through their own frame and their own filter. But you you should be trying to help somebody improve. So when you're delivering feedback, I think think about what information am I giving them that helps them to improve or otherwise it risks just being an opinion or a bit of a criticism and that's you know you're going to trigger someone's defensiveness potentially if that's if that's how we're approaching it yeah and before we move on from this point there's just one more thing here that I'd love to hear from you on and that's how can we I guess separate ourselves from our uh, from our ideas so I know for a lot of creative people they kind of pour themselves into coming up with the idea or the project or the work and it can be so much a part of their identity that you know this is my idea this is my project so if that idea is met with some pushback that's like actually that's not really the right idea you've kind of missed the mark with the brief you know this it's wrong you need to start again or you need to 
adapt it or you need to do something different. Some people, I think, find it very, very difficult to separate themselves from that idea because then they're like, oh, that person, that manager or that um, creative director or whatever is saying to me that I'm I'm rubbish. My ideas are useless. I'm terrible. And then, and again, if you're someone like me who I work pretty quickly, so my pace, I think like you said, if you're doing something else, you can just type, 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 hit send. And so that feedback can sometimes be like, ouch like literally like a punch mm. in the face it's like adrian i've worked so hard on this I, I really love this idea i've really and you just kind of shot it down and i'm and i'm often thinking no 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 like it's not a reflection of you or your work it's just i don't like the idea and again if someone if i ask someone is this idea good or even like do you like this dress silly example if they're like you know what adrian that does not suit you it doesn't look good i would much rather that than someone be like yeah it looks good and really they're thinking it looks awful so <laughs> do you think it's like a binary thing in your personal personality you either like the honesty or you don't because again looping back to the start of the question how can people separate themselves from their ideas so I think you know some people do have a higher level of sensitivity and I think one of the ways that you manage that is through the frequency of the feedback that you get so if you get feedback quite late in a process so where you're already very very attached to it you've gone from an idea and you're almost like at the end of the output and that's the moment that you share it with somebody then you've got more and more and more and more attached to it and it's going to be harder and harder for you to hear something that is contrary to how you think about that thing so I think the earlier you can get feedback the better and the more frequently you get feedback so from from hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. More people, and um, more often, the less sensitive you are, you just you just start being able to spot trends and themes and adapt more quickly to it. I do think, though, taking control of it is very useful. And I'm, I'm quite sensitive to feedback uh, because, you know, I deeply care about the work that I produce and I want it to be brilliant. So I get quite, you know, I can sometimes feel that defensiveness inside myself if somebody says, oh, you know, I, I don't like this bit about it. Or I think this bit could be better. One of the things that I do to take control of it is I either ask for feedback in a what worked well and what would make it even better if way so that that is quite a positive framing but it does enable people to give you ideas to improve something so I'll either do that or I will take control of what I call a challenge and build session and I've done this for so long in my career I remember I, I think I started challenge and build sessions about 10 years ago I was working in this innovation team and I was trying to move things really quickly and get it into the market and I think I thought that people's feedback was going to slow what I was trying to do down so that was why I was becoming a bit defensive about it And what I started doing was having these challenge and build meetings and it gave me a lot of control. So I'd go to people that were quite critical and were quite challenging and I would basically try and take control of that critique and challenge by putting a meeting in place and saying, I'm going to share an idea with you and what I'd love to have is a challenge and build discussion where you talk about all the things that might go wrong with it or might not work and where together we build it better. And it really, I put myself into the mindset of this is going to be quite a critical meeting. However, it's a critical meeting and a conversation that I am in control of. And I think that makes all the difference if you are a little bit sensitive to getting that feedback from people. 
Yeah, I love that challenge and build session. I've written that down. Thank you. And also I think that is quite a, because of the build part, it's almost like you can take, as you said, the, the kind of confrontation potentially or the uh, maybe thoughtful disagreement in the room, let's put it that way, to then have this outcome of the build. I think the build part, making sure that the outcome is something that is good, is something that you want and it's improving is really positive. So I love that challenge and build session. I think that's wicked. And I've heard Tom Bilyeu on Impact Theory talk about this idea he calls it the red and the blue team so within his organization he will if someone has a new idea they're not sure whether they're going to do it or not and it's a big decision he will task the company he'll split them into a red team and a blue team and he'll say okay one team is tasked with show us why we should do this show us all the reasons you know the pros why is this good how can we do it how will this elevate us why should we do this decision and then the blue team or the other team is tasked with show us all the blind spots why we shouldn't do this the blockers potential things we might not have seen and how this could fail and how it could go wrong show us every reason not to do it and I think that must be like a really kind of I'm sure it's probably quite a difficult you know discussion and it's probably really interesting to be a part of but ultimately I think the outcome there is whichever decision they make to do it or not do it if they if they decide to do it they've now seen all the potential blockers all the potential you know things that could go wrong and they've talked about it and if they decide not to do it they've also discussed all the potential upside but they've decided not to do it anyway and I just that really I've always remembered that as thinking it's a really I guess clear route to finding a decision yeah I love that and actually I think that's a really strong leadership approach because what you want to do ideally is um it talks about the highest performing teams have strong levels of psychological safety and one of the elements that contributes to that is when teams feel like they can have a tough conversation and what he has done with that kind of exercise is he has made it safe for people to have a tough conversation so that a team could you know collectively say I don't think this is going to work and that might feel quite hard to say it individually or where that might be counter to what the majority of people are saying but if you're in that team that is empowered to do that then that you've basically created a safe space for a tough conversation so I think it's a it's a very smart leadership approach as well yeah agree and also I think not letting people choose which side they're on because I think that's mm. something that comes up a <laughs> yeah, lot totally agree. yeah because it comes up a lot right when you've got your own I guess bias and you're it's really difficult we're human beings you know it's really difficult for us to take our bias out and to separate okay this is my opinion and this is why I'm lobbying so hard for it but if you're if, if he decides okay you know just literally just a split 50% red 50% blue you might actually think it's a great idea but you're on the team that's tasked with showing why you shouldn't do it so yeah I mean I haven't done anything like that in the company that I work for yet but I'm going to suggest it to the to the leadership and see if it's not for the sake of it of course like if there's a if there's a reason um but I just think it's like you say a really great leadership approach I think we can both experiment and feed back to each other <laughs> yeah exactly let's see how it goes might be good for people with a lot of kids as well you know when you have arguments in the house it's like okay split them into teams um but looping back to the book you talk about um, putting all the pieces together at one point I think it's it's later on in the book you talk about putting all the pieces of your career so far together in like a jigsaw and how there's all these different pieces and finding how they link together and I really loved that one because it's super visual but two because I'm someone who's had I guess like quite different careers if you like in different stages so and I always say to people like there's a thread if you look for it you can find a way that's like okay well when I was doing that I had no idea I'd be doing this however I'm sure that gave me maybe more confidence in public speaking or maybe that gave me more confidence to network or whatever the thing is and I think often when people look at maybe pivoting or changing they think of things as being quite polarized and binary but what I like about this jigsaw idea is that actually even the piece right over in the left corner 
in some way will be linked to the whole bigger picture. So could you talk to us about, um, yeah, the kind of idea of putting the pieces together and looking at our whole career as a jigsaw? Yeah, so I think there's two ways that you can look at the puzzle. We often talk about in terms of like work-life fit today, or you can look at it like you've done with like connecting, connecting different pieces together and how it how it makes maybe a, maybe a new puzzle. So the bit around today is kind of how do you connect the pieces of the puzzle in your life today so that it gives you what we call work-life fit. So in our day-to-day, we've all got different parts of our puzzle. So, you know, I've got, I've got two children and, you know, writing a book and you've got a podcast, all those things that AJ mentioned. And I, I sort of have to work out how my puzzle pieces fit together together right now and also to know that that might look different in a week or a month and I'm not trying to copy AGN's puzzle I'm trying to build my own and and work out what work like fit looks like for me right now so I think that's one aspect of it is in the here and now what are the pieces of your puzzle and how do they fit together in a way that works for you right now and just being being very aware of all those puzzle pieces and making it work for you. And then there's the kind of the longer term piece, Adrian, which is almost like, what does your, your career puzzle look like? What are all the pieces of your puzzle and, and how does that come together? And it's really interesting around pivots, actually. A lot of people, when they think about career pivots, they think that um, a career pivot is always like a 180. You know, it's, it's quite significantly different to where I am going today. But actually, the most successful pivots are incremental. It's it's when you add, you do a bit of job crafting, and then maybe you do a sideways move, uh, and then maybe you you maybe do a little side project at the same time. It's it's these little tiny incremental pivots that that we make, and I think that's when you start to see the red thread through your career. That's when you start to see that it's oh, it's Adrian's ability to listen to other people and to inspire people to take action, and whether that's in a fitness context or whether that's in you know talking to people social media or on a podcast that's the red thread that connects who you are and what you stand for and what your career might evolve to in the future so I think looking at your career and thinking about what are all the different puzzles what are all the different pieces that I've created for myself and how how do these things connect in a way that might make sense for me and other people and for where I might go in the future as well yeah so yeah you're right that first part about the today and accepting that you know because there's always changes right so I'm sure when your children are young or maybe when your children are at university or maybe if you don't have children at all or whatever the change is I think accepting that kind of that jigsaw and those pieces as you said how do they fit together today because I think for a lot of big picture thinkers and a lot of a-type ambitious people that often have the end in mind and so it can always it can be frustrating to kind of go well this is where I'm at now and it might not be exactly what I want in the future but being okay with it instead of just I guess feeling like unless you're in this relentless pursuit of the end goal all the time that you're coasting along do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I totally get that frustration. I my puzzle looks so different now than it did five years ago, for example. And I can't I can't try I would get so frustrated if I tried to have, you know, five years ago I was coming to London every day and my children were very young and you know, different different situation. My puzzle looks very different now. And so what I need to do is make my work life fit for who I am today and what I do today rather than try to have something I had before or something that I aspire to in the future. And it's fine to reflect and it's fine to plan, but you've also got to be present and think about, well, what is my current reality and how do I make those things fit together? Because that's that's what will help you to be happy now and that is what will give you the energy for whatever you do next. 
Mm. Yeah, and to make it meaningful, right, in the moment. And I think, Mm. so that brings me on very nicely to kind of the last section of this, which was to talk to you about, you know, doing meaningful work and about purpose. Now, even just the word purpose itself, I think it's, it's viewed as this big, heavy topic, something that can feel overwhelming to even think about. Other times it's positioned as kind of vague and a little bit indulgent, you know, oh, find your purpose. But I think most people really do want to do meaningful work. They want to do something that aligns with their values and their purpose. So I'd love to hear from you, Helen, whether you think that putting like placing purpose at the center of maybe the decision or the or the career do you think there's a time and a place for that so for example maybe when you're first starting out it's just about getting experience or or do you think that actually having purpose at the center from day one is essential in steering you in the right direction my view is that i think the thing that we need to avoid is a situation where purpose creates pressure and so i, I kind of do worry that when people think oh, i've got to find the perfect purpose or i've got to i've got to fix my purpose that you suddenly create this this pressure that makes it feel like really overwhelming for you and like purpose is about having a sense of direction so not getting fixed to a destination but having a sense of direction and then doing meaningful taking the pressure off the because that's why I said it sometimes it's just like it's heavy you know like purpose mm. so in an episode a few weeks ago I interviewed Will Store, the author of Status Game I really really enjoyed that book and I loved that episode and he talked about this different kinds of status that was that is attributed to us by others and one of them is virtue and this like virtue status that we would give for example for people that do uh, charitable work or doing virtuous work and 
I feel like when it comes to this purpose idea as well, we really need to get okay and comfortable and confident with defining our purpose ourselves, regardless of maybe what other people think or kind of applaud us for. Because I definitely know those people who, let's say you're, you know, at a dinner and, and they ask, oh, what do they do? And maybe they work for a nonprofit or maybe they work with children and people go, oh, yes, very good, very good, very virtuous. Whereas if someone says, oh, I just, you know, <laughs> sold this company or, oh, I, I don't know, I'm a barrister and I'm a barrister I help people get divorced and not have to pay their whatever people are like oh as you know your your purpose is money driven or your purpose is whatever and I think sometimes people want to have this purpose that's that they can kind of hold up as this virtuous flag in their career when maybe it's not and I think it's a bit I don't know disingenuous or dis- inauthentic to try and create a, a purpose just for the sake of it do you know what I mean yeah, I do. And I totally agree with you. I think, yeah, it's it's not for us to judge someone else's purpose. It's, you know, it's what gives them a sense of direction, what feels meaningful work to them. Um, and, and, and that's on there. That's for them to decide, not for us to judge. So yeah, I agree with you. I like that framing a lot. Yeah, I thought it was great because I started questioning myself. I was like, are you, do you fall into that trap? Um, you know, sometimes, <laughs> which I'm sure we all do a little bit, you know. But before we wrap it up, because honestly, Helen, we could do podcasts all day long. I would <laughs> love to touch on the Power Hour a little bit. So the last time you were on the show, you told us about your Power Hour. So if you haven't listened to the first episode with Helen, scroll back and find that one. But today I'd love to, I guess, maybe talk about, because I asked people to utilise the Power Hour to, you know, reclaim that time and to do something that's, you know, for themselves. If someone's listening to this conversation and thinking, you know what, I've never really sat down and and reflected on my career or what's possible for me next or yeah done these kind of exercises about self-reflection and around what I want and purpose what do you think is where's a good place for someone to start if they've just got one hour this week they're going to dedicate one power hour to their career oh I love that and I would love it if people did that and let you know or we could we could hear about it and um, I think start with a coach self question so a really good coach self question would be something like what do I want to be true in 12 months time that isn't true today? And sit with that question. Like, don't rush to answer it. Don't just write one sentence and move on. Like, really think it through. What do I want to be true in 12 months time that isn't true today? That would be the first thing that I did. And depending on how long that takes you, uh, we often we talk in the book about the difference between thinkers and doers. So thinkers might take a bit longer than the doers to get there. Uh, but doers, I've got an action for you as well. Uh, why don't you start to create a bit of a vision board? So as well as thinking that question through and answering down and writing some words, maybe go collect some visuals. If you've got, I don't know, you've got magazines lying around or flick through Pinterest, but think about what do I want my work to look like and feel like? And, you know, that could be quite literal. You might have a picture of a person talking at a meeting and you want might think I want to be that person or it could be a little bit more uh, left field it could be you know a picture of a sunshine because that you know you want to be energized it's fine they're your they're your visuals it's your vision but I think if you spent an hour answering that question and collecting some visualizations of what you want work to feel like and look like for you and you put your answers and your pictures somewhere you can see for the next 12 months I think that would help you out an awful lot. I love that. And I'm definitely a doer because as you were talking, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to put bullet points. I love it. So thank you so much, Helen. I also want to put you on the spot and I want to ask you that question Ooh. right now. Now, obviously, if you don't want to answer, 
producer Jack can edit it out. <laughs> I've just put you on the spot. But if you would, what do you want to be true in 12 months that isn't true today? Oh, I love that. So um, I think that I am a natural doer. So I spend a lot of time in doing mode and our business has grown an awful lot over the last few years, which is which is great because it helps us to increase our impact. But I would like to, I'd like to spend a bit more time thinking. So I think, what do I want to be true in 12 months time that isn't true today? I think I would like to be spending more of my time in thinker mode because I think when I you know, when I hear you talk about the books that you've read and the people that you're listening to, it makes me think, well, that's where my next ideas are going to come. That's how I'm going to help other people to get better is if I kind of put more ideas into my own head. So yeah, I would like to redesign my working week so that I have a bit more space to think and I kind of manage my doer preference and bring in, bring back a bit of my thinker. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think we all we all need to do that sometimes, especially if we're doers, because of course you can just be in um, execute mode all the time, execute, execute, mm. doing, doing, doing. But as you said, you need to yeah sometimes have that other side, don't you, where you can just yeah soak up new ideas, be curious, ask those curious questions yourself. So great. Well, hopefully in twelve months that will be true, and maybe um, maybe we'll check in and see. I'd love to. I'd love to. Great. Well, thank you again, Helen, for joining us. And just one more time, the book is You Coach You. It is, when is the book out for people to buy? Is it on pre-order now? Yeah, it's on pre-order and it's out on the 13th of January. So a good one to start the year with. Perfect. Yes, it is. Definitely new time to reflect, especially with everything that's changed. Hopefully we're not going to be in any more lockdowns ever again. I think back to last January, we started a lockdown, I think on the first. Awful. But yeah, definitely a good time to dive into that book. Pre-order now. Thank you so much, Helen. If you've enjoyed this episode, let us know and let us know if you're going to answer that question this week dedicate one power hour to coaching you and have an awesome week thanks again for listening see ya bye